This afternoon, we were, we were talking to our um, uh, niece and her husband. They have three girls, and their girls were in front of the computer talking to their mom and dad who are in Ethiopia right now. And we were talking to Ethiopia eight hours ahead of us as they're preparing to adopt a little uh, five-month-old girl, um, Elora, that they had just met uh, yesterday when they got to Ethiopia. And tomorrow they go to court and everything. And I can think of those kids seeing their mom and dad, you know, and giving hugs, hugs and kisses, you know, and, uh, oh, dad, don't stick out your tongue like that, you know, and everything that was going on. And then one of them then saying, I'm going to go watch TV. And away she went, you know. Had enough of seeing mom and dad on the, on the computer. But technology has advanced so much. Listen to some statements um, that have been made. Napoleon said this about Robert Fulton's plans to make a steamboat. You're planning to make a ship sail against wind and tide by lighting a fire below deck? I don't have time to listen to that kind of nonsense. Simon Newcomb, in 1902, 18 months before Kitty Hawk, said, Flight by machines heavier than air is unpractical and insignificant, if not utterly impossible. 13-hour flight from Dulles, 13 hours and 20-minute flight from Dulles, our niece and her husband were in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Like that. The other side of Africa from here. Sir William Priest, uh, chief engineer of the British Post Office in 1878 said, the Americans have need of the telephone, but we do not. We have plenty of messenger boys. You know that when you learned what texting was here, we had already been doing it for 10 years in Britain. I would text every Friday night, every Thursday usually, Friday night to the youth group, this is what's happening. We came back, no one did texting here. We had picture messaging in, in fact, they had it in Asia before they had it in Europe, and then it came here. And now texting is like normal. It's Twitter and Facebook and other things now that are they're the, the rave. Prentice Hall, editor in charge of business books in 1957, says, I have traveled the length and breadth of this country and talked with the best people and I can assure you that data processing is a fad that won't last out the year. <laughs> Charles Duell, commissioner of the U.S. Office of Patents in 1889, said everything that can be invented has been invented. The world is changing. October 31st, 2011, the world population clock said there are 7 billion people in the world today. India is in the process of doing, I said this in Sunday school this morning, in our Sunday school class, India is in the process of doing a census of their people. I believe that when that is accomplished, that it will probably show that India is more populous than China. India has not had the one-child policy. But there on that continent, you have 1.6, maybe 1.4 million people, 4 billion people in two countries, 3 billion plus, maybe 3.5 billion people 
between two countries. One-third of those are children. 2.2 to 2.5 billion children, it's estimated, there are in the world today. 365,000 plus children born every day. In fact, if you go on the world population website, I was on it this afternoon, and it, it ticks over the number of births today and the number of deaths and the difference and the net growth in the world population. It's up to 7.026 billion people since October, since the end of October. Every month, 50,000 children under 15 years of age contract AIDS. 20% of 5 to 15-year-olds are engaged in child labor. Over 50% the children in the world are malnourished. 30,500 children under 5 die daily of preventable diseases such as diarrhea. Jesus valued children. And children are precious. They're a gift of God. Go to Psalm 127. Verse 3 of Psalm 127, the psalmist says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed. They shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Children are a gift from God. Our, our uh, niece that I mentioned earlier, they had a burden to adopt a child. We, heard, we had an adoption Sunday here. I thought it was tremendous. I loved hearing the stories and hearing uh, of people taking in children in some cases because they could not have children themselves, but they have determined that Children are a gift, and children are a heritage, and children should be nurtured. And they should be rescued as well from, in many cases, what would have been a life where they would not have had an opportunity to hear about Jesus Christ. And, and our, our niece and, and her husband had a child that they thought they were going to adopt, and it fell through. And then now they have Elora that they've actually been able to now go and make this first journey. And then they have to come back and then they have to go and do the final process over there with the American uh, embassy and then bring, bring her back. Um, and the unique thing about my niece is that she's never traveled outside the United States. And there she is in Ethiopia. Her mother would never get on a plane, so she's made a big step. I don't even know if, uh, if, if she's ever been on a plane before, but she'd never flown transit, transatlantic flights. 
And so they have taken and made a great sacrifice so that this child would be rescued from what could be, could have been, never having an opportunity to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. But this little child will have that opportunity, Lord willing. Children are very, very precious. In fact, Jesus said this in Matthew 18. If you go over to Matthew 18... You know, it, 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 Jesus continually challenged his disciples by using an illustration. They would come to him with a question. They would come with something they wanted answered. And in many cases, the questions that they had had ulterior motives behind them. Remember, they sent, two of them sent their mother, thinking, you know, Jesus couldn't resist what mommy would say. And this is a similar situation here. It says in Matthew 18, verse 1, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Surely I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. I've seen children take that simple faith of step of faith of trusting Jesus Christ. Bruce, you've seen that in your ministry. Many of us have seen that. Where children just simply understand and then simply respond, recognizing their need and trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. In a few moments, I'll show and tell you a few stories about some of those that were involved in this candidate orientation that I helped to organize and lead as well as having been involved with them in camps in, in the past um, and learning about the background of some of these people and what they went through as children and then recognizing what they do to reach children and the type of children that they're seeking to reach. As an example, Betiana, the Secretary in the office of our MCB, that's the way BCM is in, in Portuguese, because ministry centered in the Bible is a proper way of saying it in Portuguese, Bible-centered ministries. And so it's MCB. It looks like it's, <laughs> what happened there? Did it get reverse it? it that's, that's the way it is. So you'll see that at times, or, or hear me say that. Betiana, July 2000. And 10, when my nephew and I were there for an English camp, just three weeks before we were there, her 14-year-old son was shot dead because of drugs. He either 
wouldn't run drugs or he got in the way of somebody that was a drug dealer and that he was shot dead. Paulo, one of the young men that came to English camp that same year, that, that week before he was there, twice during the week, and then I understood what he said. He prays every time before he goes out his door. I understood why he made that such a priority. Because twice in the week before he came to English camp, he was walking with friends and someone came up and just shot someone near them in the head. Twice that happened in the slum that he lives in, the favela he lives in, there in Recife. And the innocency is stolen from children so young. I purposely had the music in such a way it comes to one point in that song where it talks about um, how God has lavished his love upon us. I can't even think now of the actual words of the song, but I can see Ricardo there with Maria. And Ricardo was from the age of six. I've probably told this story before. Age of six, he was made a homosexual by his stepfather. He was abused for years, came to camp at nine and trusted Christ as Savior. Struggled for a couple of years before he could come out of that environment. But now in his early 20s, I would see him at camp every time he had his Bible open talking to kids about Christ and and, and witnessing to them. You would not have known his background. Horrific background, though, that he had come out of, but he was redeemed. He was saved and brought from that. And Jesus called for the children here in this passage to sit there, and then he illustrated that just as this little child is innocent and humble, so we're to be innocent and humble in coming before God. What took place when uh, we were there? I was there with, um, and I'll come to the individuals that were involved with that. I, uh, we came to Recife, Brazil. It's a city on the east coast of Brazil, which 200 kilometers from uh, the equator. You definitely know the sun is hot, and you know that you better cover up quick. It's a totally different feeling in the sun there compared to our summer here. And it's summer there when we were there. So it was 87 to 89 every morning, every day rather, uh, and it never got below 80 or 79 at night. Um, so I was really suffering. <laughs> it's a modern city. Recife itself is, is just about 1.6 million people, but the metropolitan area is almost 5 million people now. It has a, an issue with a high crime, just as many of the cities in Brazil, such as Rio and Sao Paulo, where there are flavelas, where there is, uh, you may have even heard of some of the uh, things that have taken place there. Um, the, there's... Tremendous uh, drugs and prostitution. In fact, I think it's two years ago now, 
The BBC came out to say that Brazil now for child sex, uh, sex trade and slavery is higher rate of that amongst children than Thailand. Recife itself has a tremendous problem with that. I come back to that. It has the influence of the European, of the Dutch and the Portuguese. The Portuguese um, persecuted the Jews, the Dutch welcomed the Jews, and I come to that next because actually in Hesife, they don't pronounce the R, it's like an H, so if I say Hesife, I'm saying Recife. Um, this is the first Jewish synagogue in the Americas, is there in Recife. It was from there that Jews went then, as they were persecuted by the Portuguese, they went to establish New York, New Amsterdam. And so the first Jewish synagogue in the Americas is actually in Brazil. It's a beautiful tropical country. It also has uh, some of the oldest churches in South America. And as you can see, there's the modern and the, well, the flavelas, the slum areas are modern as well, but they're just not as nice as the apartment buildings you see in the back. But if you love coconuts, you see this everywhere. You just, they just give you a coconut, they lop off the top of it, give you a straw, and you drink the coconut juice right out of the coconut. I'm not a fan of coconut milk. I like cooking with it, but I don't like drinking it necessarily. But one thing I do love is what you see there is acai. And that's a, a lovely blue, dark blue berry that is absolutely uh, wonderful. And I could have put up several pictures of that because I could eat that all day long. BCM Brazil, as I mentioned, also known as uh, MCB in Portuguese, uh, fulfills our purpose of BCM in reaching children and developing churches worldwide through camps in January and July. They do in both those months a week for children, a week for teens, a week for slum kids, and then an English language camp for all ages. In the English camp, this last one, they had a 14-year-old and they had an 82-year-old. That was the span of ages they had in the English camp, and all different levels, uh, beginners, intermediate, and advanced. The camps, Acampamento here you see, one of the camps that they use. This is part of the slum kids camp, where they bring kids out of the slums. In January, they usually have um, a pre, a like 12 to 15 year old uh, group, and then in July, it will be a younger age, sort of a, a 9, 10 to 12, 13 year old. And um, oftentimes when these kids come, and I'll come back to this, what took place at one of the, at the slum kids camp back in, in January, just before we were there, oftentimes these, these children are coming out of being maybe drug runners or being, uh, in many cases, the girls are, are prostitutes at 10 and 11 years of age. This is an empty schoolroom because I haven't been there yet when they've had school on necessarily, but they do um, reach over 6,900 children per week in schools in just seven 
of the over 400 slum districts in Recife. The population of 5 million in metropolitan area, there's a lot of flavelas. A small, there's some are very small areas, some are, are larger where there, were, there are schools, so not all 400 necessarily, plus I think it's about 415 areas. Um, not all of them necessarily have schools, but where there are schools, we're, we have been able to go in, and though it's not um, legal in one sense, the schools have asked that the Bible be taught in those schools. And so they'll go into a school, and one of, one of our workers does about 26 half-hour Bible classes a week. Another one does 40 seven half-hour Bible classes a week in the schools, all a different class each day through the week, and then repeats that the following week. And so they're reaching around just under 7,000 children every week during the school year. And so I was helped to organize and, and lead a week of bringing some of these individuals who've been volunteering in that regards to then more formalizing their involvement with BCM as missionaries with us, and then taking our in-step with the master teacher training and utilizing that to train others as well so that they could begin to train lay leaders in churches in Sunday school teaching, etc. Uh, Maria, there's Maria Guzmao there next to me doing the translation. She's our... BCM uh, Brazil, a uh, missionary there that organizes all of this ministry that takes place. And then this is Mrs. Mariana Dicio. Her husband, Carlos, is the head of our BCM Peru ministry. And uh, she's actually Dutch background, but she and her husband have been in Peru for 19 years now. And uh, he's Peruvian. And they, uh, she was in doing the afternoon sessions uh, four hours of ISMT master training that she was undertaking. We had a 15-year-old, Jonathan uh, Xavier, who was doing the, the translation. I, I did, I've, known, I've known him for a couple of years because he's come to English camp. I did not realize he was 15. I thought he was 17 or 18. But he's 15 years of age, and he was translating, and he was very, very good. Of course, I don't know Portuguese, but <laughs> I'm told he's very good. <laughs> And then our former uh, BCM president, Dr. Bob Evans, is our international representative. And I'd ask Bob to come in and be involved in this because of his knowledge of BCM worldwide in a greater way than I know, of him having visited literally every missionary uh, throughout the world and every ministry that we have in uh, Asia, Africa, Europe, South America. He'd been a missionary in Brazil, he and his first wife. Um, some years ago, back in the late 60s, early 70s. So he knew a little bit of Portuguese, but he still had to have translation. He could carry on a conversation, but it was difficult for him to teach, but he was excellent in uh, that area. And one of the things that we did was to also emphasize our core values. You'll see them up there. If you know Portuguese, you'd be able to read them possibly. If you go across the top where the yellow one starts, um, at the very top row... It's centered in God, controlled by the Holy Spirit, Bible-based, prayer-based. Then it starts down on the left-hand side to um, 
servant leadership, integrity, excellence, um, teachability, uh, culturally appropriate, ministry multiplication, financially responsible, cooperation, and then compassion is on the board there. Um, Bob and I back and forth on that teaching each day as well. And then Max was there. One thing, I, I love rice. I realize this area is mainly a potato area. And rarely do I have rice at home because I can say this, my mother-in-law doesn't like rice. My wife and I do, but we try to cater to, our, to her mom and we eat a lot of potatoes at home. And so anytime I get a chance to eat rice, and I, that's what I love about Brazil and I love going to Asia as well because it's rice. Well, you may not be able to tell, but there's rice and beans are the two main staples that you'll find in a Brazilian diet. And it's there with some chicken and even some noodles, actually. I guess that might have been because they thought maybe the Americans liked spaghetti or something. Um, but Max enjoyed his time there as well. And here you see the, uh, pretty much the whole group that were there. There were one or two that were missing from this photo when we, were, when we took this. The gentleman at the front there sitting with Maria is Pastor Valdeño, who is the pastor of, of her church as well as the chairman of our BCM board, MCB board in um, Brazil. Very godly man and it's very much an encouragement to, to get to know him even better this time. And I'll come to some of those. These are all the candidates here. Uh, Hizu, the first one there, that's her full name, Hizulin. Uh, Louis, Lula, uh, Nelmizia, Nelly, Maria Elsa, Jose, Maranalva. And uh, I'm going to just share a couple of stories about these um, individuals. Really, that each of them have a testimony that was quite, quite amazing, actually. Maria, is, uh, as I mentioned, is the one that heads up this ministry. Her burden is to reach into every flavella with the gospel to children in the slum schools. This is Hosey. On the left is her mother. Her mother had 18 children. Hosey's only one of five that, are, that survived. The stories that told of what they had to eat, just basically flour and water they subsisted on for a time, going and begging just for what the baker would throw away. Um, and this, but Hosey is now doing her master's degree in teacher training and is a tremendous gifted teacher. You would not know the background she came from necessarily, but hearing that house that her mother is standing is, her mother actually built that with her own hands by making the bricks out of mud and out of clay and mud and water, etc., and drying them in the sun and then building them. And then recently her son came and redid her house inside and put tile. You can see tile. Until two years ago, she only had a dirt floor. And then her son came back after he had left and gone and be, actually became very wealthy. He came back and took care of fixing his mother's house up. Nellie, at two years of age, 
Her mother left. And from there on, her five brothers and her father abused her. And Nellie is such a sweet person. You would not know the background that she had and the horrific things that she went through as a woman, as a girl, as a young girl. And Nellie is one of our newer missionaries there. This is a group of a Bible club in one of the slums, linked to a church in the slums. And these kids came out of the school and are in this church. But one of those young men there was just saved in January. Maria told me back in January while camp was going on, we have the highest number. We've got 12 homosexuals in camp. We've never had that many homosexuals in camp. These are just up to 15-year-olds. This 12-year-old boy, when he came to faith in Christ in the week, he immediately separated from ever sitting with his other homosexual friends in camp. In fact, they are very careful to make sure that there's no more than one or two in a room, and they're always separated in a room. They obviously are very careful what they, do. they allow these young people to interact during the day, but he didn't sit with them in a meal or sit with them in the meetings after that because God convicted him that he needed to separate from that lifestyle when he, when he came to faith in Christ. But at 12 years of age, having been a homosexual for a number of years, because these kids, are, their innocency is robbed from them. These are some children in Islam two years ago, and just wonder where they are today, but I want you to think of that verse where Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. These are some older young people. They're still children. The young man in here wept on my shoulder in a meeting, and he could speak some English, and he said, I have done awful things. I have killed people. I've been a drug dealer. I've been a pimp. I have done awful things. How could God forgive me? Jesus said, let the little children come to me. and Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such of these. This was thrilling when I had the privilege of speaking at one of the slum kids' camps, and kids came to faith in Christ. The one night I spoke, nine children, nine young people came to faith in Christ. That's what it's about. It's what Jesus said. Let the little children come to me. Jesus calls for children to come to him. He calls us to pray for them and to work towards. You know, we have a privilege of having a Christian school. We have a privilege of having a Sunday school and a junior church and an Upwards and a, and a Nawana program. We have a tremendous blessing of helping children to be kept 
from things that could harm them for eternity. And I would encourage you to pray and to encourage those who work with children because it's very, very important that we rescue children. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you are a God who hears the prayers of those who cry out to you in spirit and in truth. You seek such to worship you. Today we have been reminded and challenged of who truly is God in our lives. And I pray that it would be about you and your glory, not any attention, not any seeking of any glory, but the glory to be reflected back to you, and that it be for your glory that we serve, and that we do what you have called us to do. Pray for the children that are represented here through us as parents and grandparents that our children would turn to you and follow you and then that we as parents and grandparents might be before you like children humbly coming to you, trusting in you, resting in your care and the things that we face on a regular basis. Thank you for what we've heard today of answers to prayer. And we ask that you would continue to bless us in the remainder of this day and in the days to come, that we might honor and glorify you and that you would enable us to rescue children for Jesus' sake to see them come to know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. Thank you that you call children to yourself. And we give you praise in Jesus' name.